Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education, presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. Episode 10, So You Want to Become a Teacher, with Shona David. Welcome back to Emma and Tom Talk Teaching and back by popular demand we've got another episode for you about becoming a teacher. So you want to be a teacher, what can you expect? And we're joined today, um, as we were when we did this episode uh, way back when Tom, by another of our fine colleagues from the primary PGC programmes here at Cardiff Met, Shana David, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Welcome. And obviously, um, we should probably, it's not obviously, you are also a Welsh speaker, um, so we could maybe hear a little bit of Welsh in this episode perhaps as well. But we're all here, the three of us, because I suppose it's always evolving, um, the picture in terms of how you can train to become a teacher. But certainly in more recent years, the emphasis on what it means to be a teacher and what the expectations one can have of that profession and from the job and from the role have actually slightly changed and have come on with, you know, a, a much bigger emphasis on master's level study, a much bigger emphasis on research inquiry. So we thought we'd come back into your ears to uh, again address this question. If you want to become a teacher, what do I need to think about and what are my next steps? Um, teaching is a funny one because, of course, pretty much everybody has been in school and therefore pretty much everybody has an opinion of what it is to be a teacher. But as I think all of us discover once we make the leap to the other side of the fence, it is actually not quite what you think it is when you're a pupil. And so I think all probably all three of us around the table have interviewed candidates for our initial teacher education programmes who perhaps don't quite understand what it is to be a teacher. They don't know what dotted line they're signing on. So perhaps we should start off by really considering the answer or some potential answers to that very favourite question of interviews, which is, you know, why do you want to be a primary teacher, a secondary teacher, whatever it might be? The thing that I often say, or I say to myself in my mind when I'm asking that question, is that... I'm looking for someone who really wants to work with young people, really wants to work with their pupils. And from that answer, I'm I'm, I'm looking for someone who really does mention that and is able to kind of give examples of when that penny dropped, really, when they decided that they wanted to work with young people. And if they don't mention that, I do tend to get a little bit dubious as to why they're going into it. And you can easily fall into that trap, particularly, um, I'm speaking specifically from a subject perspective now, you can talk a lot about, you know, your passion for your subject and why you want to impart it. But sometimes you can lose sight of you know, the people at the heart of what we do as teachers. Is it about you, Seanad? I agree completely. And as you say, we will often ask that question, why do you want to be a teacher? But I also expect beyond that then that they've identified that teaching is more than just working with pupils or and people will say things like, um, oh, I really enjoy working with children. Well, there are lots of professions where you can work with children. Teaching is a very specific um, profession where you're required to actually teach them and they are required to learn in your company. And I think what I also expect is that level of perception that comes through, that they understand. And this is not a child-minding role. It's not taking care 
well, it's not only taking care of children and occupying their time and making them enjoy themselves, there is also the expectation that they can teach them something and that they have some grasp of that concept as well. But yes, I agree completely. They have to want to work with children. One of the interesting features, I suppose, of music and drama as secondary subjects is that there are many ways you can be a teacher. You don't have to be a mainstream secondary classroom music teacher, which is a particular kind of teaching. You could be a a visiting peripatetic teacher, a private teacher. You could do all those Saturday stage schools and things like that. And so what I often try and tease out of my lot who are interviewing is why the mainstream classroom but maybe we should pull all the way back and go all the way to the blindingly obvious because one thing that I know that we sometimes get is people who are applying simultaneously for the primary age phase and the secondary age phase and haven't even wrapped their head around which one of those they prefer so perhaps Sean Ed from a primary point of view we should really go right back to basics and say what would be the different things that you would be expected to do in primary compared with secondary. Um, and I'll confess now, this is one of our interview questions. We will ask, why do you want to be a primary teacher as opposed to a secondary one? And I would always expect that the applicant has already identified that they are significantly different. You can still have a love of a particular subject or you know area of learning and experience under the new curriculum. And you could possibly lead that area within your school given time. But the expectation is that you are going to be able to teach all areas of the curriculum and that also you have a very, very close relationship with that one group of pupils that you will you know, take for a whole academic year. And sometimes if you're teaching in a rural school, it could be for two or three years if it's a very small school. So I would expect the applicant to have an understanding of the significant difference between teaching in the primary sector in comparison with the se- um, you know both sectors. And perhaps you're wondering how that might be possible um, and how you might be able to put yourself in a position where you can make a, an informed decision about that and articulate that at interview. And of course, the best way of doing that is to get some experience, is to get into a primary and secondary setting so you can get a sense of what the different environments are like, have a look at the relationships, the different relationships between students or pupils and teachers, classroom teachers, get a sense of the kind of culture of the school and what the kind of vibe is around the school if you can. I suppose the easiest way of doing that is by going back to your old schools and schools that you've got connections with where it might be easier to get into them. Obviously you'll be looking at them through a, you know, from a different perspective, a different vantage point, having you know been a long time out of the classroom um, yourself at this stage, having gone through an undergraduate um, degree route unless you're going for the BA, in which case you might not be too long out of the classroom yourself, but getting a different perspective on it, get, seeing it through the teacher's eyes and looking at the, the wider role of the teacher and, and ideally getting to chat to the classroom teachers about what that wider professional role entails is going to be the best way for you to get a, a true sense of what that's like. A lot of applicants come to us um, who might have had some, you know, draw upon some really good experiences from when they were learners themselves you know they might have done a little bit of work experience maybe in year 10 when they were sort of 15 16 years old 
very different to when you are, you know, a little bit older, a little bit wiser, perhaps out of the classroom for a bit longer, for you to really get a sense of whether that environment and the what the what the role entails is 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 the is the role for you. And from a secondary point of view, it's probably really important uh, to acknowledge that anyone applying for a secondary PGCE subject route will be a subject specialist. They will have a degree or I think in our case at least 50% of their degree will be in that named subject and one of the biggest changes in mindset I find that people need to have as a secondary specialist is they need to go to school and they need to remember that they've certainly spent the last three years of their education surrounded by people who live, breathe and love that subject. Particularly thinking about music and drama, our specialisms, they're surrounded by people who read music, who play instruments, who sing, who do concerts, who can't imagine a life without that subject. These pupils in school have 12 or 13 or 14 subjects down at the kind of compulsory key stage three end. And sometimes it can be really quite a wrench to realise that you're going to be dealing with people who perhaps don't love your subject as much as you do. Very good point. And of course, we must also acknowledge that um, there are other education settings where qualified teachers will get jobs, such as special educational needs, schools, who might in that instance be dealing with pupils who are secondary age but might be teaching a range of subjects so there is a caveat there to what Tom just mentioned about kind of secondary traditionally being a subject disciplinarian and and primary being a kind of sort of more of a, a generalist a polymath of, of multi a teacher of multiple subjects but in the in the special educational needs setting again you might be teaching um, subjects specific subject disciplines but also likelihood is you might also be um, expected to teach a range. So again, if you're interested in that setting, we would advocate trying to get some observational experience. Um, Likewise, a pupil referral unit. The more experience you can get before you actually get in front of somebody at interview, the more you're going to be able to draw upon that experience and demonstrate to your interviewer that you have made a very decisive, informed decision about what you're applying for. And speak to people who know what's going on. Certainly, as we're recording this, we are in COVID times and it can be quite difficult to get into schools, perhaps compared with four or five years ago when, quite frankly, a lot of teachers would snap your hand off if you rang them up and said, hey, do you want some help? No charge. Uh, Now it can be quite difficult to get into schools and, and that can be a problem. But you don't have to speak to people for very long who know how this this game works to really start getting some interesting insights. And that might be serving teachers who are amongst your friends and family. It could be perhaps if you're still in university friends of yours who've graduated before you and gone on and done a PGCE and they can tell you you know not only what teaching is like but perhaps what the teacher education program they did is like because that will have many interesting moving parts to it as well. I would say with the primary what's interesting is that many of the applicants will have been teaching assistants prior to application not all and it's not necessary that they have that experience but when they do have that experience at least they have an understanding about general child development and and it does help they understand some of the jargon and the terminology we're using and they have an understanding of basically how a classroom might operate It doesn't always mean that they have an insight into what being a teacher is. (laughs) And we will see that they understand their own role exceptionally well, but they haven't necessarily seen the planning and the thought process that the teacher is involved with. But it, it certainly helps. 
However, it's not enough. Uh, and obviously, that's why we have a, a teaching programme. But what all the experience you can have in a classroom always, always helps. Even experience of working in after-school clubs, not as relevant as being in, in the classroom and seeing, you know, operationally how things work day to day. But all those additional uh, experiences that you have of working with children in sort of an, an enriched environment sort of um, way also certainly helps. There's definitely a difference in there between being the teaching assistant, the learning support assistant, you are working with a smaller group of people. Normally you're you're at, at the one end of the classroom. Being at the front is very different, isn't it? And some people who come onto the PGC actually find that their absolute happy place is actually that teaching assistant role. I find myself wondering, you know, if you're a teaching assistant who's got a really good relationship with a teacher, I wonder if you could uh, make them a cup of tea one day and ask if you could get up the front and have a go. Because it does, it feels really different, doesn't it? Being, being responsible for that lesson. Thinking about this um, for those out there who maybe have heard some slightly more cynical um, perspectives on teaching and and maybe they're in two minds uh, about the teaching profession. Perhaps they've seen teachers depicted negatively in the the media or certainly the profession and the workload, etc. And let's face it, we do have teacher shortages and issues with teacher recruitment. So... I guess, putting ourselves in their shoes, what might we say um, to kind of counteract that? What's in it for somebody who wants to go into the profession? Aside from the things that we've just mentioned that will really drive us about really wanting to make a difference to to young people's lives, but just thinking really now about those cynics out there, what what might we say to convince them? Well, interestingly, you mentioned earlier, Tom, the fact that we're under COVID restrictions at the moment. For primary, we've seen a distinct new interest in teaching. And I think, and this is just my own perception, that there seems to be a general appreciation of the role of teachers in light of the fact that um, teachers are now seen as being essential workers who provide an essential service to communities. So I, I think there's a new respect for teaching as a profession as a result of the the pandemic. What we also find is that many people who have been homeschooling have thoroughly enjoyed the process. Not all parents, I'm not saying that for a moment, but there are certain parents who have enjoyed it very, very much and who've decided to have a career change. And more and more we're seeing applicants you know, who are mature applicants, who partly because of that homeschooling have made the decision to apply. I think a lot of people who are not teachers have held on to a very old school view about what teaching is actually, haven't they? I mean, I used to find this when I was in the classroom, you know, that actually my pupils and my, my parents that I work with had a very odd old school idea of what it was that I did. And so perhaps perhaps some of those ideas are getting updated. I think probably on the one hand, it, we may as well get it out there now. It, it, there are easier ways to earn the money that you get as a teacher. So it has to be something that you want to be doing. Uh, I think one of the one of the real reasons to do it I think from my own point of view is I remember you you didn't really look at the clock when you were at work so if you're in one of those jobs where that little bit between three o'clock and five o'clock tends to last forever that's probably not going to happen you're going to get to probably go home feeling like you've earned your money and you've done something useful at the end of, end of the day and I think from my point of view the pupils were just really fun really funny to work with I certainly wasn't standing at the front 
spouting at them all day while they sat looking at me in awe and respect uh, you know we were having quite a good time maybe maybe because of the nature of my subject but you certainly if you if you conceive of teaching as being you're going to stand at the front and all the pupils are going to sit in rows and gaze adoringly at you as opposed to something a bit more interactive you know you, you're probably barking at the wrong tree there and it might be a bit of a cliche as well but no two days are the same you know you can have a preset idea in your mind about how the day is going to go when you arrive in school and it never turns out to be that way so and I think that's quite exciting as well and I think it depends on your own mindset I mean there are huge changes happening in education and you can see that as a you know challenge and a problem but you can also see it as an opportunity and I think lots of the teachers I speak to and the ones we're in partnership with are really you know, engaged in the whole process of having a new curriculum and being allowed to have a little bit more autonomy about how you teach your subject, uh, listening to pupil voice, to having, you know, pupils contribute their own ideas, more collaborative approach. And also the professional development aspect that happens these days as well, where you're required to engage in some research and apply that to your classroom. So things are constantly moving, changing, developing and that you have some responsibility for that yourselves. And and I think people enjoy that. Totally agree. And of course, you know, that really does speak to the the kind of progression routes that will potentially allow you to move up the pay scale as well. You know, if you are concerned as well about being able to uh, progress and therefore earn more money, there are those routes in teaching. There are those possibilities. And as Sean had said, there are always opportunities to learn on the job as you go and to get some really valid professional learning, do some of your own research as well. So it's a really interesting vibrant time to become a teacher so if you're feeling cynical then hopefully we've gone some way to convince you so next steps then you're in a position where you think you know that what you want to do you think you know you want to go for it what are the next steps for an applicant where do they go to find out more where do they go to apply how can they do that Well, I suppose the first thing to do is to work out what country you want to train in, because uh, there there are some significant differences, aren't there, between the home nations of the UK. Also, you're going to need to think about what kind of teacher education course you want to do. I mean, we work mostly on the PGCE, which is the well-known one, the one that you do after a degree. It's just under a year long. You do it in university. But there are a number of other routes into teaching and not everybody can afford to take a year out and and study uh, for a PGCE. Some people want to do it part time. Some people want to combine it with work. Other people perhaps don't have a degree yet and want to become a teacher and therefore going to need to look for one of the undergraduate pathways. So you're going to need to do your research, both in terms of the different setups that they have in the different nations and also the many different ways that you can actually gain that hallowed qualified teacher status. That's true, because there are a number of different approaches to training teachers or educating teachers. We work in initial teacher education here at Cardiff Met, and some of them involve university input, um, and they combine school placements with university input. And some, if we look across the border to England, don't involve university input, and they are more kind of school-based routes. So it really is about having a look at the different types of 
of route, different types of program and asking yourself, you know, what kind of learner am I? Um, Where am I at in my stage and phase of learning myself? And what kind of course is going to suit me and my personal circumstances? Because of course here as well, you've got the option to do it part-time, to do it full-time, to do it salaried, as Tom mentioned. So there are lots of different options that it would take us far too long to explain to you here, but um, it's definitely worth doing your homework before making that decision. The university-based routes in particular can be a bit of an easy target sometimes for some of the people out on social media who like to write provocative things in 140 characters or whatever it may be. And there can be this slightly two-dimensional view that actually you just need to go into school and look at an experienced teacher and do what they do and it'll rub off and then, you know, you'll become a really good teacher like them. And it's actually much more complicated than that. And there are loads of advantages to having those two different contexts in the mix when you you train as a teacher. I mean, Sean, you work with an awful lot of primary students, both Welsh speakers and English speakers. How do they perceive the place of the university, even though we don't have pupils on tap, we don't have teenagers running into our rooms? What's the point of our involvement? Well, I think this perception is improving. And what we're finding now, and we in our new course, we've got 15 school-led training days, we call them specifically, which happen in schools, where they can see theory and practice. They're in an actual school, but we're discussing theory with them. So I think this perception, we are cracking this nut very, very slowly. Traditionally, I can remember myself having said, oh, well, actually, you learn the job out in school and, you know, you weren't very clear about what the role of the university was. However, now, with professional development, the emphasis on the student themselves in getting engaged in research and inquiry and it being theory-informed practice, you can't ignore all that learning that we have about education otherwise we'll never move forward if we're just copying what's happening in schools you know just copying our mentor and repeating the whole thing we'll never move forward and we're finding school teachers they're moving forward all the time they're involved in research and inquiry there it doesn't stop once you finish university, what we're hoping to give them is those basic principles and those basic understanding of theory and research, which will stand them in good stead for the rest of their future development. And of course, once you've made the decision on the sort of course that is going to be right for you, you then need to get into the nitty gritty of the entry requirements of how you go about applying and each institution or each pathway will have its own respective set of requirements. And it's worth looking at the differences um, between them because there are subtle differences depending on the pathway, depending on the route, depending on the institution. So it's really important that you do your homework on that front as well. I think it's a generally kind of commonly held desirable uh, thing that students who are applying to be teachers are literate are numerate and here in Wales have a kind of certain level of competence when it comes to digital skills so it's really important that you have a good look at your existing qualifications that you have a good look because of course we're model role models in the classroom whether that's in the primary or the secondary phase or in an SEN setting we're trying to model um, the sort of skills that pupils will need to set them in good stead 
said in their adult lives and being literate, being numerate and having digital skills are those skills that are common to having a really good life actually in future and getting by in the world as an adult. So really important that you get into the nitty gritty about those entry requirements. And if you're really passionate and serious about becoming a teacher, that might involve a little bit of extra work on your part to make sure that you've got the relevant entry requirements in order to get onto the course in the first place. So do your homework on that front. And for secondary, of course, as I mentioned before, you're going to need a degree that has a significant chunk of your subject specialism in it. If you've got a a very simple, simply named degree like music or English or something like that, that's probably going to be a a, a quick and easy thought process. But perhaps you would like to be a maths teacher. You might have a degree in economics. Perhaps you want to be an English teacher. Your degree might be in journalism. It may come down to actually speaking to the admissions department of of the institution or the programme that you're going for. It may even come down to speaking to the person who's in charge of it, who might go down and look at your list of modules to check that they think that the subject specialism is there. If we're talking about the one-year postgraduate route, which is the one that we're so familiar with, there really isn't time on that course to give you that subject knowledge. That subject knowledge needs to come as as the thing that you bring, and and this programme or similar programmes give you the ability to teach that in school. Now for primary course, Sean had mentioned, you're a generalist in a way, you're a teacher of all subjects unless you get a very specific kind of job. I'm just kind of interested, Sean, I don't know if I'm putting you on the spot here, but you're going to have people with degrees in subjects, but you're also going to have people, I guess, with degrees in things like education and, and early childhood studies and things like that. What are the different strengths and weaknesses that those people bring to your programme? Well, we do ask them to discuss their degree uh, at interview and we ask them to reflect on how that applies to the primary setting. However, some people will come with a degree in law, possibly, and we do look at their A-levels. So we want to see that they have got a general profile which is applicable to the general profile of subjects that need to be taught in the primary school. We find that those students who have taken a degree in education or early childhood studies have a very good understanding of theory, not always practice, because they may have been out to schools, but more often than not, they will only have worked with groups and they will only have observed. They they won't have that teaching experience, but they will have a good understanding of education. So we, yes, we consider people with education degrees, but, but a whole raft of degrees. But we will also look at the A-levels just to get a good profile. I think another important thing to mention here in this uh, part two episode um, about becoming a teacher is the need for greater diversity in the profession. There are no easy or quick fix tokenistic ways of doing that. But the truth of the matter is that we do not have a very diverse profession at the moment. And I guess one way of trying to, in a very small way, combat this is to plant the seed that the more our young people see diversity amongst their teachers, the more they will see routes into professional jobs for themselves in the future. And the more minds, the more diversity, the more kind of backgrounds we have um, represented in the teaching profession, the more diverse the experiences of, of our young people in schools will be. You know, that version of the world, that vision of the world kind of starts in the classroom and obviously um, in their personal lives. So 
I'm appealing to anybody out there, really. Um, and we're all, you know, of course different, but we, we can probably list the aspects, uh, the lack of um, representation in the profession um, that would be kind of top priority at the moment. And I guess it's, a, it's an appeal, really, to get more diversity into the profession without being too tokenistic. I don't know what your thoughts are on this. Yes, without being tokenistic, that's the point, isn't it? What we are trying to do, because we've got interviews, and when we interview, we try, whenever possible, to interview with a school colleague. So it's not just the university selecting applicants, it's something we do in partnership. And then we try to identify where we have got people in our partnership schools who represent that diverse background. We try to ensure that they are the mentor person who is interviewing when we have an applicant. Um, from a minority background mm-hmm. because we want to normalise that and we want to make people who apply for programmes feel that there are role models for them in schools. So, um, yes, it, it it's something we're definitely focusing on and we need to drive further. But I agree completely, Emma, we need to um, appeal to everybody. And, of course, the other sort of upshot of this is that, uh, as Sean had mentioned at the start of this episode, there are many places, including Wales, who are reforming curriculum. The more minds we have, the more experiences that are brought to bear on how we co-construct that curriculum, the more we will be able to combat issues such as a, a very colonised curriculum. So this, uh, this agenda of decolonising the curriculum can really only happen authentically if we've got enough of the right minds, experiences, backgrounds represented in the teaching profession who are making those decisions about curriculum. And it's such a wide thing, isn't it? Diversity. I mean, when you say diversity, you tend to immediately think, oh, we need more black people in the profession. We need more people from ethnic minorities into the profession. I know we've taught from a subject point of view, haven't we, that music is particularly not diverse in terms of music specialisms. You know, you tend to get a lot of classically trained musicians. There are some real problems we've we've discussed in earlier episodes of the podcast around uh, gender representation in certain subjects. And I've probably mentioned this on the podcast, but I often used to have pupils come up to me in year seven and, and they would call me miss because in primary school they'd only ever called a teacher miss so Seanad I'm guessing primary uh, what is the gender balance like these days in primary we have more females (laughs) than males having said that it's improving it is an improving situation you know teaching is a very good career there is a a, you know a, a structure there for professional development um, we will find often that males will rise to the top and, and you know, to those leadership roles. Um, females don't always put themselves up for those leadership roles in schools. Having said that, there are exceptional role models out there. And yes, we still need more males, especially for the primary sector and especially in foundation phase. These days, we don't specialise. We, we decided three to 11 that all our teachers are qualified to teach for that age phase. Because what we find is when they're employed, they're moved around the school a great deal. And it, it certainly helps your understanding about general child development. And it's good for your own developing practice. But there are people who prefer to teach the younger pupils or prefer to teach the older ones. And traditionally, the males will tend to prefer years four, five, six, and females will have taught the younger ones. But, you know, that's not good practice. And we're 
That's why we're pleased under the new programme that there are those opportunities in the early years for males to practice as well. It's an improving situation, slowly improving. Mm, And so important for those children, isn't it, to have those male role models, black role models, role models from a variety of different sexualities and and all sorts of diversity. It's it's a tricky one, isn't it? So... I think we've covered a lot of ground here. We've addressed, you know, what sort of person might want to come into the profession, how you would decide if you were undecided, what you can expect from the kind of the the process. Is there anything else that we might want to expose um, without giving too much away about the interview process? And, you know, if you actually, you apply, you get called to interview, how you can best prepare for that that day or that experience, which might be online in in a COVID climate, um, but might, you know, as we go forward, be in person. So how can applicants best prepare for that interview experience? Well, you will be given guidance, you know, when you're invited for interview and there will be some guidance there and you need to prepare accordingly. I think if you can reflect on your experiences and if you're quite clear in your reasoning about why you want to be a teacher, that certainly helps. But I would also expect to see that you've prepared about the general field of education as well that you've done some research what are the current hot topics in education what what are people talking about at the moment you know what's in the educational press that type of general research will be expected as well when you're um, discussing either with an individual or or with a group as you may do later on Mm And I know that we've had to suspend our micro-teach activity from our interview process because, as we said, we've gone online with COVID. But we certainly used to value that. And I suspect quite a lot of institutions will have some form of teaching episode as part of the interview process. And I would probably recommend that people give that some real thought because... I know that when we used to do it for music and drama, you know, one of the things that used to be a problem was that some people used to think that a teaching episode w- was pretty much synonymous with a monologue. That's when your experience of going into a real life classroom is going to pay you some dividends because you're going to realise pretty quickly that the process of learning in a classroom involves the pupils doing a lot of stuff and the teacher creating a space where that stuff can happen it is not a space where the teacher witters on about something for half an hour and then says thank you very much and sits down and so it's that sort of trap that you could potentially fall into if you're asked to do some sort of teaching episode Okay, so I think we we covered at the start, you know, what we're looking for for that kind of that that key question: um, Why do you want to become a teacher? But when it gets into the nitty gritty of the kind of skills, personal qualities, which we often ask our our applicants to be able to articulate to us, actually, um, what are we what are we looking for, and and what are absolutely necessary to a you know becoming an an established teacher in, in the profession? Well, I think self-knowledge, and I think with self-knowledge, they need to be able to recognise what they're good at, but also what do they need to further develop. And sometimes applicants can be quite surprised when we ask them, you know, well, what do you need to develop? What do you need to improve? And not just about their knowledge, not just areas of knowledge, but also their skills in general. And sometimes they're something about themselves. 
how good are they at managing stress? You know, are they aware of these things that they need to work on and develop? So I think that whole idea of self-awareness, of knowing where you are, but also knowing what you need to improve and that they have some idea about how to tackle that as well. So I would I would say that self-awareness. It's a crazy range of skills, isn't it, you need as a teacher. Not only do you need to know about the stuff you're trying to teach, you need to have really creative and interesting ways of packaging that up for the class. You need to be able to get up and perform in front of a room full of occasionally hecklers. But also, we often say this to students, don't we? You could be the most creative, brilliant teacher ever, but if your admin is falling apart at the seams you're going to go under. You have to be able to get back up off the floor after a difficult lesson and put it aside and get back up in front of the classroom as well without spending, you know, days and days getting in a state about one lesson that's gone wrong. So there's a certain amount of resilience there. On top of that, of course, teaching is a master's level profession now, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And I was just about to mention that in Wales, we've got our professional standards for teaching and leadership. And underneath the the kind of main standard, which is all about pedagogy, what we do in the classroom, the art and science of teaching, sitting underneath that, we've got four additional standards that actually give us a few clues to the other really important qualities and skills that students need to have. And one of those is professional learning. You're absolutely right there. Tom, that teachers uh, teachers need to be uh, working at master's level and certainly for our programmes they do and to that end they will need to demonstrate they've got potential to work at master's level. When we work at master's level we are um, working as academics who are able to evaluate, to analyse, to synthesise lots of different types of knowledge which in some ways is, is based in what we're seeing and experiencing on the ground in practice, the type of knowledge we learn from observing other experts in the classroom, from working directly with the learners and assessing them. But that's also more so nowadays being both consumers of research that's published, but also having the capacity to do some of our own small scale classroom-based research, close to practice research. So, you know, if you've ever done anything where um, maybe in your undergraduate degree, if you're coming into this from a postgraduate uh, route, if you've had to maybe do a little bit of an inquiry yourself, investigate something, maybe gather some data on that. If you've had that experience in the past, that's going to set you in good stead working at master's level. But certainly it's that capacity to be able to analyse what you're doing, to evaluate it, to think critically about it. As Sean had said, to be able to reflect on it, be a reflective practitioner and to pull together lots of different threads, synthesise them and then find a way forward. So working at master's level, really important. Another big standard standard for us in Wales is your ability to work collaboratively. You don't just work on your own as a teacher, you are working as a team and you need to be able to work in collaboration with your colleagues, to be generous with your time, to share knowledge and expertise, to sometimes team teach. So, you know, ask yourself, am I the sort of person that likes to work closely with other people and to work constructively, co-constructively with others? And am I going to enjoy working in that kind of environment? environment. And finally, 
leadership. Remember that you are a leader in your own classroom, you are a role model for the students and therefore there is a serious kind of professional expectation there and you need to ask yourself some very serious questions about um, what it would mean to be a professional in the classroom, working with young people, working with parents and carers, working with other colleagues and you know that really will involve you having to make sure you're well presented both in your demeanour but also in the way that you present yourself through communication because as we've said many times during this episode you will be a role model for those young people and they will look to you for how to behave for how to learn and the learning behaviours that you want them to adopt as a role model for maybe how they might go into the world in the future so being a professional being a leader something that you need to think about and before we wrap this up Completely. Let's just put a bit of local flavour into this discussion because we've got Seaned with us, who is the the voice of the Welsh language bits of this podcast, actually. And the Welsh language, obviously, is a big deal over here. If you are a fluent Welsh speaker who wants to teach in a school where all the teaching is done in Welsh, that's a pathway you you might want to tell us a little bit about. But actually, let's also go to the other end of the scale and let's imagine a listener who's listening to us perhaps from England or perhaps from further afield who's thinking, well, maybe they don't want me because I don't speak Welsh. Uh, Maybe I have to be able to speak Welsh. What about those two ends of the scale? What have we got to offer those people and what has the profession got to offer? Well, those people who are Welsh-speaking, we certainly need you. It's not just that we want you, we need you. We're still seeing more and more Welsh medium schools opening, and there's a shortage of Welsh medium teachers, especially in the secondary sector, but also in the primary. So we really do need those teachers. They will have an opportunity to train in Welsh medium schools. Some of the provision at university will be through the medium of Welsh. They can complete their assignments through the medium of Welsh, personal tutor and so forth. We will also give them 25 hours of what we call gloiwiaeth, which is a Welsh enhancement. It's enhancement of their skills because many people will have been to university in England, possibly, may not have spoken Welsh for three years, although they were educated through the medium of Welsh, you know, in their own secondary schools. So they need that type of support, refreshment, backing, in order to be able to perform at a professional level in Welsh. So we will give them that support. But we also need all those other people who don't speak Welsh. And again, People will know the curriculum in Wales is different to England. It's, education is a devolved matter. And one of the requirements is that every child is given an opportunity to develop their Welsh language skills. Therefore, we require that all teachers and all students who train in Wales are also able to speak some Welsh and to teach some Welsh. So we will support them also with 25 hours during the programme of Welsh at their level. We have many Canadian students who will not have some even basic greetings when they start off. They will be in a group, you know, an ability group for Welsh, and we will give them that support that they need. And, you know, schools are very open. We, we're here to learn and we're to learn together. So it's um, very much give praise for what people can achieve rather than criticise them for their lack of skills. But we will support them. And also, I suppose, to blow our own trumpet slightly, it, just because you train in Wales over the Welsh curriculum and, and the Welsh system and, you know, maybe get 25 hour, uh, hours worth of, of Welsh development, a lot of our students then 
go back to wherever it was that they came to us from and and very frequently do walk into the first or second job they've gone for. So it's not that you'd be come here and you'd only be training um, for the Welsh education system. So we're on to our short slots now, and I've got something that would be uh, of interest, I think, of anybody who is uh, interested in, in becoming a teacher. We do have the Chartered College of Teaching, the professional body for teachers, and they work to celebrate, support and connect teachers to take pride in their profession and provide the best possible education for children and young people. They've got a website, um, you can subscribe, they've got a very good magazine that uh, showcases teacher research. Uh, articles which is a, a really interesting publication um, and a lot of really interesting up-to-date entries that come through uh, about teaching that it will give you a better sense of what it's like to be a teacher on the ground so I would definitely have a look at the Chartered College of Teaching website. They are definitely something interesting and for something to try okay we're going back to something we said earlier on in the episode but I think it's probably important enough to reinforce it once again if you suspect that teaching might be for you this might be something you want to do get yourself in a classroom have a look at what's going on feel the atmosphere look at what happens but most importantly ask yourself or try to find out why it happened so don't just allow the events in a classroom to wash over you one of the skills that you will need if you are to decide to train as a teacher is is the ability to ask well why did that happen what was the reasoning behind it and maybe you need to ask the teacher afterwards or maybe you can work it out yourself if you have a little think about it one of the beauties of teaching I suppose in a way is that you learn very very quickly whether it's for you or not you don't have to be in a classroom for very long I mean speaking personally I never wanted to be a teacher I accidentally found myself teaching it took me precisely one hour of it to discover that actually it was what I wanted to do and so it really is the thing that you should be doing before you put that application in uh, for whichever pathway it is you choose. So there you have it. Do you think you want to be a teacher? Hopefully we've convinced you. Shana David, thank you very much for joining us. Didn't problem. Uh, thanks as always, Tom. And thank you to our lovely listeners. We'll be back in your ears in two weeks' time. You've been listening to Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education, presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. The special guest this episode was our colleague Seaned David from the PGCE Primary Education Programme here at Cardiff Met. Dioch Seaned. Podcast artwork is by Beth Blanford and the music is by Cameron Stewart. We're on Twitter at Talk Teaching Pod if you want to give us a follow. We'll be back in your ears in a fortnight with something else interesting. Until then, take care and enjoy teaching. Mm-hmm.